Hi, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to the first lymphedema patient roundtable of 2023. We are so excited. It's a new year, but it's the same support and community that you've grown to expect and and enjoy. So we are so happy you're here with us tonight. We can't think of a better way to start the new year. As everybody's logging on, we're just going to go around and introduce everybody. Um, right now, we're all patients on the panel. So we're going to ask medical questions. Ask your doctor, save that for your doctor, unless we've got one of our therapists popping on. Um, we're not medical professionals. You do not want our advice. <laughs> so I'm just going to pop around the screen here and introduce. We've got Kelly Bell, who's a lymphedema patient and advocate, veteran fighting lymphedema, who recently gave a talk to the NLN the other day. He's going to tell us about later. We have Catherine Rosenberg, another lymphedema patient and math teacher who has an exciting update. Um, it's about a year out from a major surgery she had, and she's going to tell us about that and show us a video. We've got Angela Jones, lipolymphedema patient here with us tonight. We're so happy to see her. And last but not least, Amanda Sobe, lymphedema patient, nutritionist, health coach, and Madam President, is that right, of uh, the Lymphedema Association of Manitoba? Is that correct? You got it. I got it. Yes. Okay. Everybody, we're so glad you're here. Please pop in the chat. We've got Les. Oh, Leslie Keith's here from California. <laughs> We've got Tina from Minnesota. Oh, oh here's Karen Ashforth. Hey, Karen. Hey Karen's our CLT extraordinaire, fibrosis queen. So any questions about treatment? Again, not specific medical advice, but she can help give some guidance. And we also have... Um, I'm sorry, I'm running through housekeeping. We have closed captioning available for those of you who would like captions on. I think they should prompt you to turn them on, but if not, if you click the more button at the bottom of your screen, I believe you can turn them on there. And you can also ask your questions in the Q&A box. So we're gonna, we're gonna get things started. Hi, Carol. Hey, Mary, Shannon, Kim, Alana, everybody. We're so glad to see you all here tonight. So Catherine, you had a surgery last year, right? Um, it was in July. In July, right. Your diagnosis was last February, though, with the thoracic yes. duct obstruction. Yep. Okay, so we're going to put on a video real quick, and we're going to see if you all can see my screen in a moment. Can you all see this blank screen? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm going to play Catherine's video if you want to talk us through a little bit about your experience. Okay. So the first couple of pictures are in the before section. These were before I actually had a thoracic duct issue. Um, so you'll see that my face looks kind of like what it does now. Um, it's kind of thin. Um, and then this next picture, this one here, um, you're actually see my chin is starting to get the double chin look. Um, this was in February, the beginning of February last year. Um, now, February, I actually had my imaging done, which this is what we like to, Kelly and I like to call the spaghetti. Um, you can actually see it flowing up and it just kind of stops. Uh, it doesn't really go anywhere and that's supposed to go out through the subclavian vein and it doesn't. So um, this picture, I actually should have had the picture of Alexa in here with me, <laughs> um, was actually at the Lymphopress uh, presentation that I did. Um, and this next picture, is only three weeks later. And you can see how much my face had changed because of the swelling. Um, and as time went on, it just continued to backflow and change um, and not for the good, unfortunately. Um, this picture shows the difference in my face in three weeks. And that's Kelly in that picture. <laughs> um, so June, this is what my oxygen levels look like. So they were dropping because I couldn't breathe um, because of the amount of fluid that was uh, sitting in my chest. So now this is the day of my surgery. This was actually after. Um, they had already done my surgery. Um, and you can see that it's like right on my neckline, but you can actually barely see it on me now. Um, but this video here, if you watch this closely, you'll see that it actually shows the new bypass that was done in my neck from my thoracic duct into my external jugular vein. So now everything is flowing properly. And just to kind of show what was pre versus post, 
You can see the drastic difference in size of my face, as well as size of my chest and abdomen. And here you can actually see that my leg has started to change back to what it used to be in terms of contour. This picture was actually only a month apart from each other, and I'm wearing the exact same clothes in both um, in both pictures. These one, this one was actually the two doctors that did the procedure. Um, the one who's holding the stuffed lymph node is Dr. Ikin from University of Penn, and the one that's wearing the surgical um, scrubs is Dr. Kovac, who's the plastic surgeon who actually did the actual surgery himself. Um, so when it, oh, I'm sorry, Catherine, to interrupt. Can you explain real quick to the, cause you had LVA. I always butcher the actual name, uh, what it stands for, but can you tell us real quick synopsis of what that surgery involves? So what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a lymphovenous anastomosis of my thoracic duct. So they took my thoracic duct and they bypassed it below where the obstruction was and up in and used my external jugular vein to connect it so that this way the fluid can then go out through the subclavian vein via the external jugular vein. Thank you. So this was only in the beginning of December versus April. So you can see the drastic difference in size. Um, and we did not expect these all of these things to happen. You didn't. You didn't, but you did. I didn't, that's correct, and you did. <laughs> so here is um, oxygen level differences um, two days before surgery versus seven days after. So I had improvements um, there, but now my oxygen level doesn't drop below like 98 unless I'm starting to wake up. And then it dropped to 92 quickly and then it drops and then it goes right back up. So, um, which is, that's huge because it was pretty bad. <laughs> Um, I no longer have a heart issue um, that's been checked numerous times and it's no longer present, which is awesome. It and was there since 2011, by the way. Yes, that, that was 2011 versus, uh, it was there since 2011 and now it's um, completely gone as of 2022. Wow. Um, and my circumferential measurements on my leg have continued to drop. And there's one other piece that's not on there, um, which is that my estrogen levels and my iron levels have now completely regulated and are completely within the normal range and have been for the last five months. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, walking us through that. That was really interesting and it's amazing the improvements that you've seen. It's really exciting stuff. It is, and, and things are continuing to improve. And one of the biggest things that actually improved, which I actually found out officially yesterday, was I was ac I'm actually able to eliminate my abdominal compression completely. That's awesome. So you don't have to wear it at all anymore for your stomach. That's very awesome. Alana says, very interesting. Thanks for sharing. We all thank you for sharing that. It's, it's amazing. Everybody's surgery stories are so incredible and it's so neat to hear everybody's experiences too because we can learn so much about them. So thank you, Catherine. Welcome. Appreciate that. And um, so Kelly, I'm passing the baton to you to keep with the theme of central lymphatics. Uh, you gave us a talk to the NLN, National Lymphedema Network recently. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of, of what that was about and also some interesting new tests for central lymphatic issues? Um, yeah, I'll tell you. So uh, my partner in crime and I, uh, Leslie Keith, did a, a presentation for NLN called um, Treating uh, the Victim While uh, the Criminal Goes Undetected. Because um, I, when I became an advocate, I thought I was a unicorn, and then I started running into people that had abdominal surgeries, cancer treatments, and everything else, and they were being treated basically in their legs or their arms. And I would start asking, why aren't they treating where the issue is? <laughs> and it's, they would say, that's not where my lymphedema is. And I said, that's where your issues are. And so it became my, my journey and my passion then to share that. And so during the presentation, I, I went through the um, cancer, National Cancer Society in the U.S., and like... 1.2 million patients get um, 
cancer treatments in those areas, whether surgery or uh, chemo, and the estimation is between, from NIH, between 27 and 40%. So I did 30%, and that's 316,000 people every year that are going to wind up with lymphedema in an extremity and get treated in the extremity when they issue somewhere else. And so one of the struggles with that has always been how to diagnose that. And uh, working with Dr. Itkin on an idea of an ingestible contrast, and I think you guys heard me talk about it last month, is this would be a game changer. And so he said, he said that's a great idea. He goes, I need $50,000 to get it done. I didn't know where to go get it. And then my first question was, why don't you apply for a grant? Well, that's where the gap is in the lymphedema community is like, we don't have a, an organization that really has research funds they deal out. Um, uh, and they need those funds to actually create the data they need to go get the grants. Well, yesterday, Jeanette Zucker from NLN said that NLN is, is considered creating a fund for that, and she's going to help us get that fund to develop that ingestible contrast because those imaging to get your to get done are very intrusive and very painful. And so plus plus when, because with that, and just think about it, rather than get needles poked in, you can go drink, lay on a table and they'll, they'll, they'll be able to check and see how your lymphatics are working. They'll be able to tell where they're damaged and like the, determine the plan of action from there. Um, so big plus. And then, of course, me always digging through research, um, I found a term called cholerea, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's calling your urine, and it can be caused by multiple things. Um, it's mainly linked to uh, filariasis, which is the parasite, but you can get it from a thoracic duct obstruction, stenosis, and it can be caused by pregnancy and multiple other things. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder if this test is available in the United States. Um, it is. We're trying to see how available before I really throw it out there. I sent that to Dr. Ickin and he said, that's a great idea. <laughs> so a couple of us have gotten our doctors to order it. And we're trying to see how available it is. And then I'll share with you what you can send to your doctors if you think you may have it, work with your doctor. And then there's another thing I found called, uh, yeah, I'm just always in research, um, chylotesis. And these are like I have cholera. <laughs> I never, I never knew it was an issue. That's why I like to bring these things up. Cholotesis, and it's like um, if you have a cough, a prolonged cough, and you have lymphatic issues, and you're coughing up phlegm, and that phlegm is white, that could be chyle in your lungs because it can get pushed up in there. And so I've read researches, uh, studies where it could take 15 to 20 years. And so if you have chronic bronchitis or chronic pneumonia. <laughs> and you have lymphedema, and they're not able to diagnose or treat it, pay attention to what you're coughing up, and then have your doctor pay attention to it, because that alone can be tested as well for fats, because that's what they're looking for in the urine, and if you have fats in your urine, the only way that should be there is if you have a central lymphatic issue, and the same thing if you have fats in your lungs, it's a central lymphatic issue, so those are two definites. That's really interesting. Thank you, Kelly. It's, it's, it seems like with lymphedema, you know, we've come so far in the last couple of decades, but there's still so much further to go um, in the research and, and there's new stuff being discovered still. So it's it's invigorating to hear this this information, you know, and, and it's research is continuing to happen. And we had we ended 2022 with a bang with the Lymphedema Treatment Act getting passed finally here in the United States after over a decade of fighting and lobbying. Um, if years. anybody on the panel wants to talk about that, Fenton just said in the chat, congrats to the LTA for passing the bill into the executive phase to become a VIA bill. Yes, all of that. <laughs> um, anybody on the panel want to talk about the, the Treatment Act and what this means for patients? Anybody? Oh, what, the Lymphedema Treatment Act? Yeah. Well, what it means is, is like you're going to have access to, uh, if you're on Medicare, you now they're going to be able to get uh, compression garments. Um, being part of the team up there in, heck, in um, D.C., it was really crazy because every legislator, uh, every legislator I talked to said it was an oversight and they knew it was a mistake. That's how crazy it was. It's just like trying to get them to correct that mistake. It became a tool. And uh, 
so what it's going to do is going to allow the patients to now get compression garments if they need them. They're still working out the, that's where LTA has not gone away, the lymphedema treatment group. They're still working with Congress to work out the, the specifics of it. And then um, usually what in the United States, whatever Medicare covers, other insurances and other Medicaid is, fall, fall in line with that. And so where we've had trouble getting the co compression garments, it should become easier within the next year. That's awesome. So, so it'll set a precedent then essentially, hopefully yeah. for private insurance. Yeah. That's great. Karen, uh, from a therapist perspective, um, what does this mean? And, and how are you feeling? Excited probably. I am so excited. Well, that was my my wish at the end of the year for our last round table was that this would pass. And I'm just over the moon because I have so many patients where I have to beg, borrow, steal to get compression for them. And I have donated compression. I have a big closet. My philosophy is, is that every patient gets something. And um, even if patients can't afford the full cost or any of the cost, I want them to have something. Now, it's not always exactly the perfect thing for them, but this is going to allow patients to get just what they need. And I'm just very, very excited. It's, it's making my job as a therapist so much easier. That's awesome. Yeah, Carol Platt in chat just said to, to the host, compression garments are invaluable. It's almost impossible to work without them. Yes, we totally agree. Um, we had gotten some questions through email in between December's roundtable and this one, and I wanted to bring some of them up to the panel. Um, one of them was from an attendee named Katie, and she asked, it seems like certain diets for lymphedema and lipedema, like keto or carnivore, are also high in protein. But as I understand it, excess protein and lymph fluid that seeps into surrounding fatty tissue is a primary cause of the inflammation that causes fibrosis to form. This has made me wary of trying keto. Now, can anyone in our panel want to talk about that a little bit um, and, and kind of break that down? This might be a dueling match between oh, Kelly and Karen, ahead, Karen, maybe Amanda. <laughs> ahead, Amanda, why don't you start? You have so much good information. I thought the exact, oh, who, Kelly? Yeah, Kate Kelly. No, who, go ahead, you go ahead, because you'll be surprised. Go ahead. Um, I thought the exact same thing. You all, tag, you're it. Um, I thought the exact same thing, too, when I started my research of staying away from protein, assuming it was going to um, accumulate more protein in the lymphatic system. I was um, very shocked and surprised to find out that that was not necessarily the case. Again, there are certain food triggers that do cause inflammatory responses. And I want to be cautioned to when people are trying lifestyles and diets, it's really important to see if it's a lifestyle and diet that actually works for you. Um, you have to take a whole bunch of collectives into, uh, into effect. I think a lot of people end up doing keto because they've heard that it is the thing for lipedema or the thing for lymphedema, but sometimes step over some other deciding factors. For example, keto works and Kelly's great because he's super into keto. But if you have a lot of comorbidities and a lot of um, other health conditions, keto might be a really great solution for you. But if you're only doing it to try to see or seek reduction for the lymphatic system, I think it should be trial by error. Everything needs to be pushed through your your, your trial system before you can say it works for you or doesn't work for you. But the thought process of carnivore diets or ketogenic diets, or even diets with animal proteins is going to increase the swelling. Um, I think we can very safely say that that is definitely not the case. Okay. You guys want my two cents? <laughs> okay. So I took, <laughs> I went keto um, in 2017 and it was a game changer for me and it lasted till about 2020 and then things weren't going so well and I couldn't figure out what's going on things were progressing and then if you think about it when I'm eating keto I actually have a thoracic duct blockage so I'm creating a lot of chyle um, that's you know nutrients my body needs but then it can't get to where it needs to go these are questions I kept proposing to myself and other people is it worked and now it's not working 
And the reason is, is it's actually creating too, so much chyle that my body cannot, and it's not going up, so my body can't process it. And so now I'm having to uh, do a more high-protein, low-fat diet because my body's not able to process those fats. Um, contra like the other issue to that is uh, because I have a blocked thoracic duct, is what nutrients am I not getting and how do I get them? And that's where I'm working right now because you do have crucial lymphatics or crucial nutrients that go through that system. Um, and so I tell people, if you try keto and you have like serious rejections to it, your body just can't handle it. Um, I would definitely consider you may have actually use that as a consideration. You may have a central lymphatic issue because again, they, the way you, they treat, if you have a thoracic duct issue, they actually tell you to eat a, uh, a low fat diet based with MCTs and vegetarian stuff. And I actually was vegetarian for two years before, and I just kept swelling, getting bigger, wound up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I understand now to doing why all that happened. So for me, it is really is just trying to figure out what works for your body and take anything that doesn't work is maybe a like, especially when we're talking fats, when you're using fats as a tool and they're not working, consider you may actually have a, an issue with your lymphatic system because might your doctors will look at everything else, your gallbladder, your blood panels. Um, he will not look at your lymphatic system. So if it doesn't get diagnosed, you may actually have a lymphatic issue centrally. Um, so me, I'm having to take a step back with the issues going on my head and stuff. And so kind of revamp, but if it works for you, I definitely enjoy it. I know a lot of people that do it and it's very successful for them. And let, uh, I've never pushed it on people. If told me they've had issues with it. And I'm like, hey, let's figure out what works for you um, from a nutritional standpoint. As I tell people, the only, only diet I've ever told people you do not need processed foods and sugar. That's what you don't need. Yeah. And so as long, if you're eating those, then you're definitely creating inflammatory issues in your body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Go ahead, Catherine. So just to kind of um, give a little bit of experience with this. Um, so prior to me actually finding out that I had the thoracic duct obstruction, I was doing a modified version of the keto diet and was very successful. Um, and then once my thoracic duct issues really started kicking in, the, the keto diet was not working for me. Um, now that the um, thoracic duct issue is no longer obstructed and is working, my, the keto diet is slowly starting to work back in, in, in my favor again. So as Kelly said, you know, it could definitely be a sign of a central lymphatic issue um, because it worked for me. And then it didn't work when I knew when we found out that I had the central lymphatic issue and now it's starting to work again after the thoracic duct issue was resolved and the healing has given, it's given, been given the time for healing to happen. So go ahead, Angela. Um, to, thank you. To piggyback off everybody, um, I, my, my theory is if it don't fit, don't force it because I tried keto and all I got from keto was elevated cholesterol, more weight gain, and muscle aches. So I think it's important to really listen to your body when you try these different things. Just because it works for a friend doesn't mean it'll work for you. And it's okay. It's not your fault. You just have to keep looking until you find what fits you. Always a good reminder. That is so true. And I want to just um, address the uh, issue of whether high protein diet contributes to high protein in the lymphatics. And that's kind of along the same lines as the cholesterol myth, where people think that if you eat high cholesterol foods, that your body will make more cholesterol. And cholesterol is actually formed from carbohydrates, not from foods like animal proteins and fats that, that are high in, in cholesterol. So um, I wanna just uh, put your mind at ease that eating protein is not going to contribute to lymphedema. In fact, if I have a patient who is looking for a diuretic diet, we will focus more on animal proteins, on uh, low glycemic green leafy vegetables, because those are diuretic foods. And foods which cause fluid retention tend to be the white foods that are starchy or sugary. And 
having said that, I want to just echo what everyone has said. You can see that everyone is doing something different and it's working for them and that we all have different constitutions and that there is no one cookie cutter right diet for anyone who has lymphedema or lipedema. So it's, it's really important to understand your own inflammatory factors, your own gut biome, um, check out whether you have any type of food sensitivities or allergies that could be causing inflammation and therefore swelling. Um, so many different factors out there. Yeah. yeah, and I think even beyond just diet, our, our treatment in general can vary so much because everybody's lymphedema varies so much. So echoing what everybody has been saying, you know, you, you have to kind of trial and error for yourself and listen to your body. Amanda, go ahead. I don't know how everyone else feels, but I also think when it comes to food, we have three pillars, fats, proteins, and carbs. And if you get on good fats, good proteins, good carbs, they are essential for building the body. So I, I personally, my belief is not to completely eliminate a macronutrient. It, it causes way more harm than good but doing things in moderation, but staying on, you know, instead of eating donuts every day, maybe go for, you know, granola, that might be your thing, or switching it for a healthier alternative. So swapping things that cause really high inflammation, like Karen said, and same with Catherine and Kelly and Alexa and Angela. Um, but again, don't try to completely eliminate a, a macronutrient, but go on the side of what is the best version of that macronutrient and then balancing out your, your, your macros and then just keeping it um, all within moderation. So you're not just having a, a diet full of carbohydrates that's going to contribute to inflammatory responses and to cholesterols. Um, so again, I just think it's more research, knowing your body, knowing what causes inflammation and just not trying to do a fad diet. Um, but education is critical. Fenton in the chat, Fenton always coming in with the jokes for us. He says, the one diet that does not work for me, seafood diet, S-E-E -E food. Ah, <laughs> Fenton, we love you. And Leslin uh, Keith, who is a wonderful CLT and, and keto extraordinaire, she, she has a book, The Lymphatic Code, that is a must read. But she says that um, there are essential fats and proteins, but no essential carbs which is important to, to keep in mind. Um, we've got a lot more going on in the chat. Fenton agrees moderation is key. And, oh, Jill Fitzgerald suggests the Every Well Comprehensive Food Sensitivity Test, IgG reactivity test of 204 foods for inflammation. That's interesting. Thank you, Jill. Alexa, can I comment on that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, so actually, at the recommendation of Angela over here, last year, I actually did a uh, food sensitivity test. Um, and it actually, the results actually were really kind of interesting. And I want to say the one that we did was 900 and something different things. Um, and it really tells you it doesn't it doesn't account for food allergies. So like it said that I wasn't sensitive to nuts but I'm highly allergic to nuts. So you do have to be very cautious in doing a food sensitivity test to make sure that you are taking into account your personal known allergies as well. Um, but also, you know, if it comes back as moderate sensitivity, try seeing how much you can tolerate, like, and really kind of see what your body can tolerate, what you can't tolerate. I learned a lot recently because I actually pulled that back up. I actually re recently messaged Angela and said, what was that food sensitivity test? Because we were, Kelly and I were talking about it and I couldn't remember what it was called. And honestly, it was probably, it was the easiest thing I ever did because all I had to do was send hair strands to Texas in an envelope. So it was super easy. And you had the results in like three days, three or four days. It was super quick, but it gave, it gave, it gave a really detailed report. And uh, Carol Platt wants to know, where's this type of test available? So how do you go about getting a food sense, whether it's every well health or, or wherever in general? <coughs> Angela, what, do, you, do you remember what that website um, was? The, uh, it's checkmybodyhealth.com. Hmm. Checkmybodyhealth.com. I'll see if I can put it in. Thank you. Well, I'm going to pivot to the topic of 
the new year. So we are in a brand new year. Yay. Happy belated new year, everybody. Do, does anyone have, I know some people like to have intentions and goals for the new year and resolutions. Some people don't, but I'm one of those people that loves the ritual of a fresh start. Um, do you have any lymphedema related intentions for the new year or, or how are you kind of resetting your commitment to your lymphedema management and care in, in 2023? Anybody want to start off? What I can the... start if nobody. Go ahead. You start. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start. I'll start. So um, I'm definitely working on my compliance um, with my garments and my pumping, um, trying to be more regular with that. And my mental health, too. I actually yesterday finally made an appointment with my old therapist that I haven't seen in years. I thought, you know what? It's time because that's just as important as our physical health. So I got off my butt and and made an appointment, and that was a big thing um, on my list. And yeah, just recommitting to overall health and well being. So now you guys got to go. What are your <laughs> what are your resolutions? I'll go. I'll go with mine. Okay, let's hear, Catherine. Um, so for me, because I have had so many changes happen in the last five months, I now have to kind of test out the waters a little bit to see what is appropriate for me now, um, being that we recently learned that I no longer need the abdominal compression. So now I'm trying to see, okay, am I using the right daytime compression? Do I need to adjust that because of the adjustments on how my overall lymphatic system is now functioning? So I'm kind of testing out some, some new types of garments and daytime versus nighttime versus bandaging and seeing what works best for me so that this way I can pick the best solution for me. And I mean, obviously as things change, it, those, those choices are probably going to change as time goes on, but I need to have a, a baseline to start for right now and then kind of go from there. Yeah. You've got pretty much like a whole new lymphedema yeah like presentation now and stuff to adjust to and learn that's that's yeah. crazy wow Juanita Rankin says she's got appointments with doctors in other states that's good making the appointments I feel like is always the hardest part but once you make the appointment you know that's that's always good and Linda says her, her goal is to be able to work from home as an editor while wearing my pump I love that idea and that's inspiring to me because I work remotely and I can just set up my pump under my desk. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> oh, Juanita's first appointment's at Johns Hopkins. Oh, I used to work at Johns Hopkins, actually. They have a good team there. Anybody else? Yeah. Kelly. So you guys know I'm always digging to the science and trying to explain things. And um, I've decided that my wife is going to help me and we're going to start creating YouTube videos. And I'm going to explain this more clear with hopefully develop some imaging, which we're not into graphics. We're going to learn all this. And so maybe in February, we'll start pushing out some videos explaining to you what more is going on and kind of relating it to me and other patients I've talked to and things I've seen going on and why you like, we can't ignore what's going on with central lymphatics. It affects everything. And so. That's um, awesome. That's a great idea. I love yeah. that. I will subscribe as soon as you start it. I'll be cool. Hitting that as like you know button. me, if I'm saying it, I'm backing other science behind it and I'll have all the science explaining it too. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely let us know when that launches and we'll be sure to include that in one okay. of the replay emails. Sure. Awesome. Who else? Well, I'm excited. 2023 is going to be a year of um, going free range. And what that means is that um, I'm going to be storing everything that I can't fit in my car after May. And I plan to do a lot of traveling. I'm going to hopefully spend the summer in Tucson and I've got a couple of international trips. One of them is going to be several weeks long. And um, so I'm really, really excited about that. That's awesome. Is there room in your suitcase for the rest of us to? Oh, wait? yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> We've got passports. <laughs> That's cool. That's so cool. That's exciting. I love that. Okay, oh, before you go, Amanda, real quick, Karen in the chat said that she had an ICG today and has a follow-up next week to see if microsurgery will help. Hopeful in 2023. We're Me so too. hopeful for you too. That's so exciting. 
And Fenton says 354 days until Christmas <laughs> and more compliance with his pump and better overall health. Those are great goals. Amanda. I have to say for the first time in probably 10 years, I did not do any goal setting or New Year's resolution. And I just don't know why. Normally it just comes out of me and I really just take the new year of like a turning of the page. And I got to tell you, everybody, I just didn't. My January feels like a December extended. Um, but I figured, you know, when Alexis sent out the email today of like, hey, we're going to have resolutions. I decided to keep it simple. I just want to try to build up slowly again, do the things that I know that I enjoy to do. Don't kind of have a timeline on anything. Don't try to have an end goal per se, but just the art and the consistency of working towards a better health, uh, better choices, and just keeping it super simple. I think that's kind of where my mind is at lately. So simplicity for me is, I guess, my goal. I love that. Giving yourself grace is so important too with, with things. Um, I thought so. I for me, that's really huge. <laughs> you know, like I was really proud of myself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll say I don't normally make resolutions probably because I don't want to be that accountable to myself. So I don't usually make resolutions. But what I realized recently is I'm facing a lot of challenges and I really want to grab the challenges and see them as learning experiences. Because what I found with me and challenges, I'm a I'm a pretty tough person, but challenges can make me cry. And, and recently I've shed a lot of tears. So I've decided that I don't want my challenges to knock me down in 2023. I really want to grab a hold of them and see them as learning experiences and growth opportunities. That is my plan for the new year. I really like that. I'm a big fan of recontextualizing or reframing situations or thoughts into something that's a little bit more proactive or a little bit more, you know, helpful to you. So I, I love that, Angela. Tina Kunkel in the chat says that her goal is to keep herself going mentally and physically, starting with my mental health medication, my moods, and how lymphedema affects my moods and feelings. It's a really good goal because it's all connected. It's all connected. And then Carol says that one of her goals is to learn more about lymphedema and consistently do whatever I can to make any improvements in my health that I can. That's also really good. We are our own best advocates as lymphedema patients. Um, so that is awesome. Katie had a question for us. She asked, how can I get lymphatic imaging? Does insurance cover it? Was Kelly talking about an alternative that is less painful? In, in parentheses, she put, having had abdominal surgery, I may have abdominal lymphatic issues. So we're pivoting to lymph or imaging talk, Kelly. Um, that's that? Katie, right? Yeah, Katie, yeah. you could. And that's one of the reasons I've been fighting because we don't know. Um, these, those to get image is very difficult and, um, the protocols are not even clear yet. So, and I think I saw you asking for less painful. That won't be anytime soon. The place, there's two places you can go for as, as an adult, you can go to uh hospital university of Penn. That's Dr. Itkin. And then also Dr. Singal, the lymphatic group up in uh, Boston at uh, Beth Israel up there. Those are the only two places in the United States that are doing it currently. Um, I'm pretty sure if Itkin is the one that's going to be doing the ingestible contrast once that gets worked out and everything, because that way it doesn't require an interventional radiologist. Those are the guys that actually have to do almost like surgical procedures to do the imaging. Um, the other one requires just regular radiologists and protocols. That's why I've been pushing for it so because a patient like you shouldn't have to try to figure out. I mean, if we suspect it, we should have an easy way to, to do it and this will be it. So, but it's not here yet. I'd like to um, take this moment too, to promote, we have a webinar coming up on January 25th with Dr. Caroline Fife and Dr. Eva Sevick about myths debunked, how imaging is changing patient treatment plans. So if you wanna learn more about imaging, I'll drop a link in the chat to register for that, but it'll also be available on our LymphoPress USA YouTube channel and our website once, once it happens too, but um, that'll have some more information as well. Catherine. Um, just to touch base on uh, the imaging. Mm -hmm. So with the imaging that is done um, at University of Penn, it really depends on the patient on how, as I'll say, painful it is 
It really depends because each patient is going to react differently, just like we all react differently to our own lymphedema. So just because, Kelly, can I use it as an example that you have a painful imaging experience just as an example? Um, say Kelly had an Kelly had an, a painful experience for lymphatic central lymphatic imaging, but I go and I don't. That's not that the imaging was done differently. It's just our bodies potentially reacted differently. So you don't want to rely on somebody else's telling you, oh, this is very very painful because it may not be for you. Um, I can tell you from my personal experience, I did not find the imaging crazy painful. It was uncomfortable but it wasn't out of control. Um, other people, depending on the positioning, depending on the type of imaging that is being done, it can be more painful because of positioning. So you really wanna make sure that you're getting your own view based on your personal experience, not somebody else's because everybody's body is different. And with everybody's body being different means that their lymphatics are gonna work differently, which when you inject dye into the lymphatics is gonna react differently. Very interesting point. Yeah, because I mean, we, we talk every month about how our treatment, you know, can vary so much because we're all so different, but the testing too can, can be so different too for each of us. Tina says in the chat, Kelly, can you push that each state has at least one doctor know everything about lymphedema and lymph, in lymph issues? Smiley face. <laughs> well, this is where I love to turn it right back on the person who state made that statement and say, why aren't you with me? Because I am doing that. <laughs> so, and that's the problem. If you have one person out there fighting for millions of people, the first question you get is like, where's everybody else? And so I, every, you have your legislators, kind of like talk to your doctors, tell them like, hey, do you know in this state they're doing this and they're this state doing this? Keep them, in, keep them informed and make them earn it. I mean, they need to know this system, um, but work with them. I'm not, don't like, I don't, you take the approach like how can I help you learn because they know you know probably more than they do they won't and, and they've never been taught it matter of fact what they've been taught it's not an important system and so you're going to have to overcome that and just work with them how can I learn to just bring information up encourage them to join like come to like round tables like this or come to conferences uh, the NLN conference in November was amazing um, any doctor walking through there would walk out with everything needed to know that we need to learn this system. Matter of fact, the, um, the surgeon that did the first heart transplant in the United States, when they asked him, like, what did he wish he'd learned early on in his career? He said he wished he'd learned lymphatics. Hmm. So that was from a cardiologist. So that's, it's that it's become, they're learning it's that important. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're, uh, Horton, here's a who we're all in the little, Puff being like, we're here, we're here, you know, and they're starting to finally hear us. But um, Ruth asked, is there a specialist like that in Florida? Um, a specialist for, for lymphatics? Um, we, we can put, I'll put in something in the chat to help uh, find lymphedema therapists. There's some resources like through Lymphatic Education and Research Network and such. Um, if you're talking central lymphatics, there's only two in the entire United States, Boston and Penn, up in Philly, so. Okay. I'm going to pop this in chat still for people. Um, oh, and Fenton wants to know, what is the name of the imaging technique to rule out abdominal lymphatic disorders? Um, it's called uh, dynamic contrast MRL. Hmm. And that was actually one of the images that you saw in, during the video was one of mine. Yeah. Awesome. And I saw that somebody was asking where Dr. Kovac was located. He is at the University of Pennsylvania and, and is um, partners basically with Dr. Itkin for the central lymphatic surgeries that when they decide is reasonable to be done. Um, but not even if they find a central lymphatic issue through imaging, not all not, not all central lymphatic diagnoses are right now able to be surgically fixed. Right now, it does have to be they're being very selective on which where the obstruction is located to determine if it can be surgically done. And they're kind of really trying to figure out what the exact protocol is to, to, to for successful. Thank you for explaining that. 
Um, I'm popping in uh, the chat, some resources as well. Carol just said there's a lymphedema clinic in Orlando Health if you're in Florida, which is good to know for our Florida peeps. Um, yeah, this is great. We're winding down to our last like 15, 20 minutes. Oh, Jill has a question. Does lipedema reduction surgery damage lymphatics? It's a good question. Karen, do you have any insight on that? It depends on um, who the surgeon is and what techniques they're performing. Because I have unfortunately had a number of lipedema clients who have had general plastic surgeons do general liposuction, and it's been a nightmare. And they've ended up with horrible complications, um, sometimes cellulitis infections, um, a lot of dissatisfaction. So I would say that there are a number of surgeons um, throughout the United States who are performing lipedema surgery um, in a safe way and have great track records. So um, do we have any kind of a central um, directory of any of those surgeons? I'm not sure actually of, of lymphedema surgeons. I know like some of the big names, you know, that people tend to go to. Um, but I wonder I'm, if FDRS would be a good. Um, uh, that's a good. We could we can drop their link in the chat. Yeah, let me pull that up for y'all. Yeah. Bottom line is, um, if you're seeking surgery, you really want to find out how specialized the surgeon is, how many surgeries they've done, what type of techniques they use, and um, what type of satisfaction rate they have. Thank you for that. Can I jump the queue and just ask a question that has completely dawned on me, which I'm pretty certain I would know the answer to, but just in layman's terms, for people that just go for standard liposuction procedures, do we have statistics of if that liposuction causes lymphatic issues, Karen? I'm just curious. Like I just, I was sitting here just thinking of just like if people go in for routine plastic surgery or like reconstructive surgeries and just like for example the general public goes for liposuction because they want to reduce their saddlebags have you seen patients that come in with lymphatic illnesses because of that um in my practice no but i believe that it is possible and the reason being is that the typical plastic surgeon doesn't have necessarily um uh, an understanding of the lymphatic system. And um, in talking to a lot of the lipedema surgeons, um, they are very astute as far as um, the direction that they go so that they are not damaging the lymphatics. And even among surgeons, there are different philosophies of whether you are working in the superficial fat layer or going to the deeper fat layer. And there are some surgeons that are claiming that if you just do the deep, that that's gonna cause less damage and um, will be better. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy. There's, there's not clear consensus on any of this, but um, to answer your original question, I think that there's a lot of damage that can be done um, by the wrong person using the wrong technique. Hi, Catherine. Thanks. Sorry to everybody. <laughs> no, that was an interesting. <laughs> that was an interesting sidestep. Yeah. <laughs> Just to go back off of what Karen was saying about um, being very cautious when you select your surgeon. The other thing that I would also recommend we looking <coughs> at or asking for is what the post pre and post surgical protocols are. So that this way you select a surgeon in which you know you can be compliant with what their pre and post-surgical um, protocols are. For example, if you have a, if you decide you're going to have a surgery and the surgeon wants you to be three months non-weight bearing, but you can't physically do that because you have a, you know, like a newborn baby, or you have something with work that you can't be able to do that with, then obviously that surgeon's protocol is not one that fits into your lifestyle. So you want, want to make sure that you're going to put yourself in a successful situation. So to make sure you actually fit into what their protocol actually is. 
We got a question from Kathleen saying that she's having hand surgery in February. Any suggestions about how to keep her lymphedema under control without use of her dominant hand? So does this mean your hand surgery is on your non-dominant and you're not going to be able to, to I, well, we'll have everybody here do has any kind of advice um, on how to help manage that. Anybody have insight for Kathleen here? Catherine, Catherine, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. Um, <laughs> if you have somebody at home to be able to help, one of the things that's probably the easiest to use is Velcro wraps because of the fact that they're easily able to be put on by somebody else. Um, but, you know, anything that you can use that they can help with is probably easier. Um, and I'm seeing she says that she has lower limb lymphedema. So I would say like a Velcro wrap is probably easy. Um, if you're not going to be moving around a ton and you have those nighttime quilted garments, um, you could always use that if you're not going to be up weight bearing a lot um, to kind of help. And that's just a, a person can just help you slide that right on. Um, those are the two things that come to mind for me that I know I used when I had hip surgery and I wasn't able to really bend to be able to put my compression garments on. So I had to have somebody help me and those were easy for them to help with. So if you already have a pneumatic compression device, you can increase the, the use. Um, or if you don't have one, get one soon because that could really help a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes, we agree. And if you want to learn more about pneumatic compression devices or lymphopress in particular, who we are the, the host here of this evening, you can email us at marketing at lymphopress.com and let me know where you're located. And I can hook you up with your local compression therapy consultant who can get you some more information. And we have lots of information on our website too, um, blog posts and more interviews with patient experiences too, if you'd like to learn more, because we are running out of time and there's so many great questions coming in chat that we're not able to get to um and Fenton just now says to wish him luck he played the mega millions he's going to use his winnings to build a lymphedema treatment and research center I will need all of you on my board of directors I hope 1.1 <laughs> billion is enough to upstart my venture we got our fingers crossed for you Fenton as always <laughs> um We've got, oh my gosh, so many great questions all of a sudden, and we're in the last couple minutes. I'm so sorry, everybody. I am. I saw a question about the difference between lipedema and lymphedema. I'm dropping a blog post in the chat explaining that, hopefully, until we can answer it in full next month. We do have our lipedema patient roundtable next week on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you want to check that out, too. Um, any last remarks from our panel as... We sort of wrap up here, any intentions or hopes for lymphedema in this new year? Um, anyone like to share while I pop some more links in the chat? <laughs> I will, um, I, as I said earlier, there's a lot happening in the lymphatic community right now, lymphatic world in like, you ever heard of the time to jump is when things are going and now's the time for us to jump. We're seeing a lot of research pointing to a lot of help and like, so to like engage the community as much either with learn NLN, these round tables, be part of that. Uh, anytime you see a conference, uh, try to make it, try to make it there and talk to the doctors. Um, they want to hear from you. I mean, so, but now's the time. Three major things happened last year. I mean, and more can happen this next year to get this all online. Cause I think lymphatics have, a huge role in a lot of our health that we've been overlooking. It's why we haven't been able to cure or treat a lot of things. Yeah, community is so important. And if you're on social media, there's a huge community on Instagram. There's there's a ton of people on there posting just their everyday life, living with lymphedema. And it's really inspiring to see that if you're having kind of a, a low day or you're, you're kind of feeling a little down or, or despondent with your lymphedema, just search the hashtag even on Instagram and you'll see people that are just living fully with this. Like we're not, uh, this doesn't have to, you know, kind of keep us from, from living our lives and being the people we want to be. There's, there's a lot of hope out there and it's helpful to see other people doing that. Um, and Facebook too, there's a lot of support groups on there as well. Um, definitely recommend checking those out, 
Carol says she's so very glad that she finally finally logged in. I need to know more and not just do what I have to to survive. Well, just logging in is a very good first step too. Anybody else on the panel have some closing thoughts? Or not? Come on, guys. <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. You really are not going to do this, are you? I know. <laughs> Just don't I'll go. Mean Go ahead. I was so on fire last month. I got I to tail it up with something. Um, I think it's also really important to stress that as we sit here as patients and therapists, um, the journey was not a quick fix. It wasn't just an overnight success. It was lots of trial and error, lots of downs, more than ups. And we're continuing to keep on going no matter what. And I just hope that who's ever here uh, watching today Maybe you can resonate to what I'm hearing. I think everyone's looking for that magical solution of, is it keto? Is it Mediterranean diet? Is it, you know, compression? Is it pumps? Whatever you think that the single answer solution is to this problem, it, it just is not. Um, keep an open mind, keep learning, keep asking your questions, keep plugging in, keep advocating, keep pushing at this because we've been sitting here i think if we all added all of our experience up together we probably have over a hundred years of trying to figure out the lymphatic system and we're barely scratching the surface stay positive stay open join the community we're happy that you're here and um just don't give up right yeah that's a big one small victories as fenton says go ahead Catherine. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is to always remember that your journey with lymphedema is your journey, not mm. everybody else's journey. So it works for everybody else may not work for you. So you really got to keep an open mind for trial and error and that you will potentially have some failures, but with those failures comes huge successes because you learn what works and what doesn't work. 100%. Lourdes is in the chat. I'm so glad you're here tonight, Lourdes. She says, this chat helps me so much to keep going. Thank you all. And Katie says, thanks to all of our panelists for your knowledge and real life wisdom and positive passion, a great start to 2023. And that's all we can hope to give you each month with this. We're here every month, every second Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're here for you. Um, in the meantime, shoot us an email at marketing at lymphopress.com if you have any questions you'd like us to try and get to um, and address next month. Even if you can't make it to the live event, please still register so you'll get the email automatically once we have it uploaded to YouTube. Um, it'll come right to your inbox. Um, we're just so glad and honored to spend this night with you each month. And a, a massive thank you to everybody on the panel and everybody in chat. Oh, I see Robin's here tonight. Albert, Leila's here tonight. We're just so thankful for you all. So we've got a couple minutes left, Karen. So I, I just um, noticed a comment about not being able to attend conferences, which is always the best if you can do something in person. But I want to just encourage this whole community. There are amazing resources out there. The Lymphopress website by itself has such a library of talks and articles. But beyond that, the National Lymphedema Network the Lymphedema Education and Resource Network. Um, you know, there are so many different places where you can learn. And, um, and some of these surgeons that you could maybe meet at conferences actually give lectures. And so you could meet them virtually. So there's lots and lots of different ways just to get information and um, educate yourself so that you can make educated choices, whether it's about surgery or any aspect of treatment. That's an awesome, awesome point. There is a ton online and we have three YouTube channels through Lymphopress. We have Lymphopress USA, which is our webinars and educational content, the Lymphedema channel, which is interviews and all the roundtable replays, and the Lipedema channel, which is all of the Lipedema interviews and roundtable replays. So a great jumping off point um, if you want to spend your evening binge watching a bunch of lymphatic content. It's all there for you. Um, oh, Catherine's here from New Zealand. Oh, we're so glad you made it. And we're so grateful you were here too. Everybody, it's 
a minute to nine o'clock, we're all going to turn into pumpkins. So thank you so much for being here and starting 2023 with us. We're so thankful to be a part of your evening or your daytime if you're in New Zealand. And we're just excited to see you next month too. Thank you so much. We're so pumped to spend this time with you. And we'll talk to you in a month. Bye, everybody. Have a great Bye. night or day. <laughs> see ya. Thanks for listening to the Lymphedema Patient Roundtable podcast. You can watch the video on TLC, the Lymphedema channel on YouTube or on Instagram IGTV at lympha underscore press. For information on the most advanced pneumatic compression therapy in the world, visit lymphapress.com.